0: This is the Religion Unplugged podcast, an interview series about the impact of religion in public life and around the world. Parker Green is the co founder with his wife, Jessie Green, of Saturate OC, a Jesus movement in Southern California. In July, Saturate OC made headlines for hosting revivals on Huntington Beach. They baptized thousands in the ocean and sang worship songs right as Gov. Gavin Newsom banned singing in places of worship in an effort to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Sean Foyt, a popular worship leader who's now touring the country holding large gatherings, helped lead worship at one of Saturate OC's early gatherings. Since October 2nd, there's been nearly 16,000 deaths by COVID-19 in California and 824,000 cases. Parker spoke to me about what this new Jesus movement is, getting his first misdemeanor, and why he thinks American Christianity won't survive the pandemic.
1: So Salt Churches is why we initially moved to California from New York City, Um, and it was to plant uh, churches in homes, essentially. Um, in the Christian world, house church can kind of have a bad rap. Um, it comes across as like us more and um, like people that are maybe bitter at the established church. What we're really aiming for groups of people um, that are following Jesus together, making disciples of Jesus and, and teaching them how to follow him um, through the scripture. So um, that's what Salt Churches really looks like. It's a multiplying church movement in homes and parks and coffee shops, no really matter where. Um, as so far as Saturate OC, Saturate OC really is uh, focused on baptizing people, evangelizing people, preaching the gospel of Jesus, um, sharing the good news of Jesus, and seeing people um, turn from an old way of life. And follow just essentially means a turning um, and follow Jesus and be baptized. So um, it's on beaches, um, it's been in parks. Um, we face, obviously, because there's a large body of water <laughs> to baptize people. Um, um, but it's been incredible. We've seen uh, what we thought was gonna be a couple hundred of our, of our friends worshiping together turn into you know thousands of people, um, essentially engaging with this this movement um, in California. So it's been a lot of fun.
0: You guys were planning this before coronavirus Oh yeah, um, came, yeah. Right? yeah,
1: a year so, before. So we were getting church partners to like different just to be a part of it and doing all kinds of stuff, having dinners at our house, raising money the stuff you do to have a conference or event. Um, the last minute, like God, shifted the plans to um, do four ends in July, as opposed to just a one weekend event. Um, and it ended up landing on July 3rd. Um, Governor Gavin Newsom had decided to uh, make uh, singing a singing, <laughs> however you can enforce that, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. But essentially, uh, it struck a chord, I think, with a lot of people. And we had um, a much larger response than we had initially anticipated. It was the best possible publicity.
0: So, uh, how are you guys forced to adapt? I mean, did you have to adapt in that situation, or was it pretty much um, the same as what you had planned, as far as being on the beach and? I mean, we advertising for it, like getting people to uh, show
1: up. Yeah, we just did Instagram. Really directed people to our website. And they could register for free on our website. So it wasn't like a registration registration. Um, It just kind of stayed the same, like, hey, diddle, diddle, right up the middle, just kept going um, because we felt like God had asked us to do it.
0: So when you talk about microchurches or meeting outside of the traditional church setting, is that to, are you replacing like people's church communities or bringing in new people who don't go to church normally, this is their first time? Or is it a lot of people going to church normally? Yeah. And then in addition to that, they're coming to these gatherings?
1: It's, uh well, the Saturate gatherings are Friday nights. And then our churches gather normally on Sundays. And we have multiple okay. churches in Orange County and now um, across the country. So
0: It does seem like, you know, there's a lot of media coverage of Huntington Beach. They're calling them revivals. And you guys have yeah. used that word as well, revival. And yeah. so what distinguishes the gatherings as a revival more than just a month of gatherings? And you you kind of alluded to it, maybe there was a lot more um, passion and and just feeling of like really wanting to gather again during COVID. And has that still been happening the months after July? And what kind of evidence can you give people to show like this is really a movement um, and a revival more than the normal um, experience of evangelism, you would say?
1: Sure. Any, any movement that you see um, online or any movement that you see through media um, is obviously going to have a lens on it. Um, And it's not going to necessarily be your lens. Um, Many times it can be, Um, the lens of whoever is providing you that media. So um, I think the first thing I'd say is, yeah, see for yourself. But I think what we've seen on the ground is um, manifestations of actual healing. Um, We've seen people drop drug addiction. Uh, We've seen people uh, break free um, from depression and suicide and actually seek help, um, find help and find community. Uh, We've seen lots of people repent of um, things like uh, pornography, sexual sin, um, get baptized, turn around from it, um, and break bad habits off their life. Um, we've seen people organize into churches and homes without us trying to do it. And I think I think one of the biggest things about movement is that you're not trying to manufacture energy. Um, a lot of times uh, when you have a typical Sunday service, there's a lot of manufacture. There's a manufacturing system that's in place in order to manufacture the energy for that service. Um, we just turned up at a beach literally with a megaphone. And I understand there's kind of an aura about that as well. There, there's kind of like a punk rock version of what we're doing and there's a purpose to that. Um, but we, we didn't expect it, but we went with it. And I think that's a big part of it. There's, an, there's, an, there's part of it that is a, an act of faith and you're just thinking, okay, um, in charismatic circles, um, people would say like God showing up, so to speak, um, or, or there's something in the air, there's something radically different about this. Um, and I think one of the biggest evidences of that really is the, I mean, thousands of baptisms we've seen over the summer. In Orange County, it's broken out in different churches. And I think that's something that we can't control and we can't push. Um, we're not in charge there. Um, COVID was certainly part of it, but it's Wait, just- What do you a, mean
0: it's broken out in other churches?
1: We've seen I mean, other churches um, starting to do the same thing, prioritize okay. baptism as opposed to like the one month, mm-hmm. once a month thing that they do in front of everyone. It's like, no, we're doing this every week now.
0: Why is baptism the thing that people focus on as, you know, we want to do baptisms sure. every meeting?
1: I think it's because it's physical, and I think for a long time, um, it's like a physical act of faith. And I think for a long time, the Christian church in the United States especially um, has um, bought into something that's more like Gnosticism, um, like a disembodied Christianity, where it's like you, but everyone's living in their body. So it's a very confusing way to teach the faith, right? And we believe that Jesus bodily rose from the dead, if you, if you believe in orthodox Christianity, which is like basic faith, basic dogma of Christian faith. is Jesus is alive right now in a body. Um, and so for a long time we've separated the two and it's just like, it's become this religion of feeling or swinging from one feeling to another. Um, and the act of baptism, um, in a third world country, uh, where there's persecution, um, or, you know, in many places that aren't even developing nations at this point, um, Baptism is a sign that you're in and that you're willing to essentially die for your faith. And many do once they choose baptism. Raising your hand and saying a prayer is one thing, but a physical act of obedience in front of a group of people that you're joining um, is is a little bit more intense. And I think, to be honest, it creates momentum around it. People continue to choose to do it and they're seeing something they can actually physically do to say, I'm in. Um, and, and there hasn't been much of that for, I would say the past 30 or 40 years in, in Western mm-hmm. Christianity.
0: Are some of those baptisms, what you would call rededications and people sure. who have yeah been around and yeah. just feeling like their faith wasn't genuine before?
1: Some people get caught up in the moment, but I think uh, a majority of the baptisms are very genuine and people are turning, um, from, from an old way of living to a new way of living, and joining what we say, joining a, a new family, a fa- the family of God, essentially.
0: And do you guys have any connection with Bethel, or um, where you know where would you trace back your kind of like theology?
1: My wife and I have some differing okay. opinions on that. Oh,
0: so. interesting. <laughs> do you want to summarize?
1: <laughs> well, I would say my wife is certainly certainly leans more charismatic than I do as far okay. as, um, sects of Christianity. Um, I and would you guys say are like,
0: co-founders both of Saturate OC.
1: Yeah. Saturate and salt. So we run both okay. together. Um, right. but as far as like Bethel is concerned, um, like a direct connection, uh, not a ton. I mean, as far as like the leadership team, we've met some folks up there before. Um, I like what they're doing. I don't know why they're not meeting right now. It doesn't really make sense mm-hmm. to me considering they're, their usual event. Um, but, um, I would say, uh, for Jess, especially, and I don't want to put words in her mouth, but, um, a lot of Bill Johnson's books were transformative for her when she first came to faith, um, in living a real tangible, um, Christianity. Um, and then for me, uh, I, I was trained at Hillsong church in Sydney, Australia, um, I was, uh, uh, doing youth out there for three years from, I don't know, it's more than 10 years ago now. Um, and then mostly did youth ministry stuff, um, in pretty run of the mill mega church style, um, systems. Um, and my, my theology really started to break away from that. When I started to read Dallas Willard, read some Francis Chan, and I would say, I'm more of a reformed charismatic, but
0: <laughs> okay. uh,
1: full of the Holy Spirit. We speak in tongues. We believe in divine healing. We believe that uh, miracles absolutely still take place, but we'd shy away from the prosperity gospel and a lot of the stuff that's gotten mixed in with um, just the straight up gospel of Jesus. So,
0: What are the some of the stories of healing that you mentioned that have happened this summer?
1: Sure. Um, I mean, I'm praying for like crazier stuff than this. Um, (laughs) uh, but, but, um, we've, um, you know, we've seen people's stomach ailments get healed, like gastrointestinal issues that go away. Um, we've seen, um, knees and hips, um, that have been replaced, um, pain go away. So what we've seen a lot, um, is, is, a lot of basic pain disappear in people's bodies um joints restored um, we've we've seen people with partial um bad hearing in an ear that ear be completely open um, so um I mean we're striving and we're praying for like Jesus style like spit in the mud, like blind <laughs> and now I see like you can't deny it type miracles um mm-hmm. and I don't want to gin anything up to what it's not um but we we have seen. We have seen some incredible miracles take place and we've seen a lot of, I mean, in the United States, we see a lot of emotional healing, especially out of COVID. We saw a lot of depression be alleviated, I guess you could say.
0: Yeah. Um, do, you have, do you have like a particular anecdote of someone that you could share anonymously?
1: Sure. Uh, Yeah, there was a a girl that was in Long Beach, um, and she came out to one of our events. I think you could probably find her story on Saturate OC on the Instagram. Okay.
0: Okay. Um, She
1: came out to one of our events. Um, She got stage four cancer, um, and her husband left her, um, and uh, came to one of our events. And was obviously um, she was fighting cancer and winning. Um, So she was at the back end of 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 a fight with cancer. And uh, very depressed at the back end of it after all the treatment, after all the trauma from her husband taking off. Um, and uh, she got baptized at one of our events, and uh, my wife and others were in the water praying for her for, I don't know, God knows how long 30, 40 minutes. Um, and we saw her life radically change, and she continued to come back to saturate, um, got plugged into a great community out here, and is just, um, um, You know, when the light comes back on in somebody's eyes, it's hard to describe, but it it put a seed of hope in her that she hadn't had in a long time.
0: A lot of church leaders, I think in particular, or Christian circles, have been worried about mental health effects um, in their communities and in their church communities too, and trying to make the decision whether to meet in person or not, and whether they can break through those feelings of isolation just on Zoom. And obviously, you guys are gathering in person. So, you know, it seems like online is not going to cut it for your evangelism. So, uh, you know, what do you say when critics will point out there's a lot of unmasked people and you may not be socially distanced the whole time and, uh, you know, saying you guys aren't being safe during COVID and that it's irresponsible? Sure. yeah, we'll come up to you on the beach and tell you to wear masks? sure. I mean, I've had a few people do
1: that. Most people, most folks don't have the courage to do that in a social media era.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: we did have the police come to our house from Huntington Beach and actually oh, write, me, write me a misdemeanor on our wow. third week. So that's my first. Um, that happened in July, yeah. That happened in July, so that's my first run in with the law. Um, in my life. <laughs> what, hap- what
0: happened? Did you get well, fined? or?
1: Uh, yeah, well, I still have to go to court. So they push back the date, but we'll see what happens. Um, I, I'm pretty confident that they're not, you know, they're not super willing to prosecute, but we'll see what happens. Um, it is Orange County. It's like this tiny little miniature Bible belt in California. I would say there's multiple fronts you can attack this from, right? Where it's like, is there a political bent? are we going to go political with it? Because it's, to be blunt, I mean, Democrats wear masks and Republicans don't. Like, that's what it looks like right right now. You know, for two months, suicides were through the roof, drug addiction and overdoses through the roof. Um, People are losing their jobs hand over fist. We've lost 14,000 businesses in California alone. Um, I know it's, it is the sixth largest economy in the world, California, but it's still a, a huge number of jobs and by extension suppliers that will lose cash as well. Um, So there's the economic and social fallout. And then you have um, just what does religious liberty look like? What is our government going to decide to do with the First Amendment? Um, It says you shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion so if we are exercising our religion what laws can you actually make surrounding that can you tell someone not to worship god like pharaoh did in exodus you know what i mean Mm -hmm. because it's like a perfect parallel people are like well obviously like you're pharaoh and you're evil and you're trying to get us not to sing um so and and in newport beach it was like like the police officers were taking pictures for themselves like so Newport is like was a totally different experience they're like yeah Yeah. this is great there was like the mayor was going to come down (laughs) there were a couple city council members down there Oh, interesting um because it's that's their political base I mean okay so Newport is
0: more Republican
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) um so so I would say like um I would say from a religious liberty standpoint for me it's far scarier for um me and for my kids and their kids for religious re- liberty and for there to be precedent to restrict religious liberty um, for um, a virus that's got a less than one percent mortality rate in California. You know, I mean, it's not like they're going to defeat the church, but it, it is is—it is certainly nice to be able to worship in public um, um, without being persecuted for it.
0: So do you see these gatherings as kind of a political act or a political statement, even if indirectly? I don't, but I don't
1: think that can be helped.
0: Yeah, exactly. You
1: know what I mean? Like, uh, everything yeah. is so polarized. And because of the way people consume media and the way that they see what they see on Instagram or Facebook, um, and like you're just drinking from a sewage pipe all day long of the things that you want to hear, um, that, that you can't really do anything without somebody taking some kind of political stand or taking away from what you're doing that you're doing something political. Um, we actually lost numbers at our events when we, when we pulled away from the political aspect of it, where we're like, we don't care if you wear a mask or not. No, this is about the gospel. This is about preaching Jesus. This is about the message of Jesus Christ. It's like, without us, this is going to keep going. Mask or no mask. We took a position that was ap- more apolitical. Okay. Um, Like trying to be
0: nonpartisan.
1: Yeah. And the fact that you even have to say that about what we believe as Christians is, is the dangerous precedent, I think, where it's like, no, like when, when people tried to corner Jesus into being political, many times he would say, no, it's not left or right. It's my side. You know what I mean? And I, I believe one political party over the other certainly represents my values and biblical values more than the other, but that's not the point of the gospel. (laughs) <laughs> we should yeah. vote and we should be good citizens and we should enter government and we should enter business and we should bring our values to the table. Um, but, um, preaching the gospel is overrides culture and should impact culture, um, from a place where it still has a prophetic prophetic out outside voice.
0: So what about all of the civil unrest and the black lives matter protests? Have your events touched on that? Um, and try to, you know, because obviously I see your events uniting a lot of different people. Um, sure. And then in the background, there's definitely a lot of protests happening where people are feeling very divided in general um, in the country. So do you guys talk about that? I haven't seen anything explicitly on um, any of the messages that you guys talk about. Uh, but.
1: No, no. And I think part of that is because... Uh, you know, there aren't as many people saying you need to talk about this. And when those voices do come in, they're not necessarily people we listen to anyway. For us, um, the gospel is the solution to all of it. Um, and I think people have far more in common than they think they do. And I think a lot of the civil unrest is coming from um, a political divide that's intentional. It's like, well, tell me what the policy is. Tell me what we're supposed to do. Tell me how we're supposed to win. Tell me what we're supposed to do here. Um, and tell me, if you're going to tell me one life matters, you have to tell me all matters. It's the same argument I've heard for years as a conservative Christian, where it's like, well, you can't believe in the death penalty if you're against abortion. And I'm like, well, you can't believe in Black Lives Matter if you don't believe in all of them. When it comes to Black Lives Matter, obviously, you have to agree with that statement. Um, and, and, but do I agree with the organization? Absolutely not. And what they're doing? Absolutely not. They're dividing people. Race relations are far worse. There's no peace um, between races. We have to unite people around Christ and around the gospel and around His blood and what He's done.
0: So, are you pretty hopeful then about American Christianity? Uh, um, not as it
1: is. No, no. I, it won't survive.
0: Really? COVID. What What do you mean by that? <laughs> because people it won't. Want su-
1: really- well, it won't survive. It won't survive the idea of COVID. million people died this year of tuberculosis in the world. Um, it's like the idea of COVID is, is a little bit bigger, um, than COVID itself. Um, it's basically a very severe respiratory flu. Um, so, um, I think, uh, megachurch is a bad business model (laughs) Mm -hmm. for every person you add. It costs more money. Um, and you have to keep feeding that Sunday beast as soon as you start it. Um, And when you have a crisis like this and you don't have a backup plan where people are already in discipleship groups or following Jesus in groups of 20 or 30 or 40 um, or that community aspect that you see in the book of Acts and New Testament, um, the thing just falls apart. So I think if they haven't seen it yet, they will see it. Um, But I think the American church will, have to evolve or um, as we like to say, be resurrected in a new Mm -hmm. form. (laughs) Um, Otherwise we won't reach Gen Z and millennials at all.
0: Okay. And so any parting advice for these Christian leaders who are trying to figure out like everyone else, how to reach Gen Z?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying to figure it out too, but (laughs) um, (laughs) I, I would say get in the gospels and don't leave for a while. And just get back to the salt of it. Like, what's the basic principle of Jesus and what does he actually want? What was Jesus trying to start? And start that in your own life so you can start it in the lives of others. I think that's the basic idea.
0: And not just online.
1: <laughs> um, I think it is bad advice to try and run church online. And I think, I think it shows us uh, that the emperor has no clothes. If we continue to to think that um, our belief system and what we believe about Jesus and who he was will work um, with an online performance, then we've missed the point.
0: (laughs) Well, thanks so much. This episode of the Religion Unplugged podcast was hosted by me, Religion Unplugged Managing Editor, Megan Clark, edited and produced by Peter Freebie. The Religion Unplugged podcast is a production of ReligionUnplugged.com and is part of The Media Project, a nonprofit dedicated to equipping journalists to cover religion. To read our award winning global religion news coverage, or to find out more about Religion Unplugged or The Media Project, visit ReligionUnplugged.com or follow us on Twitter at ReligionMag.